morning. So Lord, we bless you for your friendship, for your presence. We thank you for you here. Amen. Um, hey, good morning, everyone. If it's your first time here, my name is Edgar King. I'm the lead pastor, and it's a joy uh, to be part of this community. Um, two things. Carolyn just told me that uh, we have teens, cl uh, teens class going on. So if you're a teenager, if you're a teenager, uh, your classes are on today. And, and then uh, next week, we'll actually have our roof on. Isn't that cool? Yeah, kind of cool. Okay, so I'll, I'll invite us to stand for the reading of scripture. But this is a long one, so I'll read over you, but you will, you'll be able to follow through uh, from the screen. This is Deuteronomy 6, um, verse 1 to 25. I'll read the first portion in NIV, uh, sorry, in uh, Boyd's version, and then the, the last portion in NIV. The Eternal, your God, commanded me to teach you these rules and judgments so that you would obey them in the land that is yours when you cross the Jordan. You are to fear him and obey his rules and commands, just as I am teaching them to you now. Do, these, do this your whole lives, you, your children, and your grandchildren. And you live in the land a long time. Yes, Israel, if you pay careful attention and obey, everything will go well with you in the land flowing with milk and honey. And you'll have many, many descendants, just as the eternal one, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, Israel, the eternal is our God. He alone. You should love him, your true God, with all your heart and soul and with every ounce of your strength. Make the, uh, make the things I'm commanding you today part of who you are. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting together in your home and when you're walking together down the road. Make them the last thing you talk about and before you go to bed and the first thing you talk about in the, in the next morning. Do whatever it takes to remember that Okay, that's better. And I feel closer. I do whatever it takes to remember them. Tie a reminder around your hand and bind them, uh, uh, and bind a reminder on your forehead where you'll see it, see it all the time, uh, such as on the doorpost and when you cross the threshold or at the city gate. The eternal one, your God, promised your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you this land. Uh, when he brings you to it, you'll live in a beautiful and spacious cities that you didn't build. You'll have houses filled with good things waiting for you. Cisterns to hold water already dug out from the, from the rocks for you. And vineyards and olive orchards and, uh, that you didn't plant. You'll have all you want to eat and more. When this happens, be very, very careful. Uh, um, don't forget, it was the eternal one who brought you out of Egypt, where you were slaves. 
Worship Him, your true God, and serve Him, and swear oaths only to His name. Don't become devoted to any of the gods of the people around you uh, that, that they worship. The eternal your God is living right among you, and He's a jealous God. He would become furious if you were unfaithful to Him. He'd wipe uh, you off the face of the earth. Do not put the eternal, your true God, to the test and uh, the way you did back at Massa. Be sure to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees that He has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you um, and uh, in the land you go to take over. The, the good land the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you. As the Lord said, in the future, when your son asks, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord has brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there uh, to bring us in, in to bring us in and give us a land promised an oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as in the case today. And if we are careful to obey all the laws of the Lord our God, uh, as he has commanded us, that, we, that will be our righteousness. Blessed be the word of God. may be seen. Um, so a bit of context the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land and Moses who actually never went in with them is giving them some instructions uh, uh, on, on how to live when they take possession of the land that God had promised them and you know they will they, they're just about people who were once slaves are about to become owners of land and become prosperous um, and, and so Moses is instructing them and giving them a couple warnings hey be careful be careful how you live and uh, in the portion we read also, God's heart is being revealed that his promises and uh, the relationship he had with the children of Israel and the blessings were meant to be multi-generational. They were meant to flow from that generation to their children and their children's children and, and their children after that. The favor God has on your family is meant to be multi-generational. The favor God has on this church is meant to be multi-generational. It is meant for us and those who come after us and those who come after them. So God asks them to be careful, to remain faithful to Him. I don't know if you know it's possible to lose blessing that has been in a family for generations. I don't know if you know it's possible because of unfaithfulness to lose blessing that has been in a family for generations. Take this example. Uh, some families, part of, part of what God has blessed them with is generational wealth. Right? Because that is a blessing too. Sadly, a lot of, up to 70% of wealthy families lose all their wealth by the second generation. And 90% uh, lose all their wealth by the third generation. What happens? A different generation comes that, is, that isn't living the same way the, the generation that came before them is. 
a different generation comes in and they don't have the same vision, they don't have the same drive, and everything is lost, at least for 90 percent uh, uh, by the third generation. It's possible to lose generational blessing just by how people live. Sometimes you have a family that has, has had uh, leaders from one generation to the other, one generation to the other, and then comes a different generation and you can't trust them, even to just watch your chicken. <laughs> and you know, I want to I I, I be careful what we hear. It is not that God ceases to bless us. God is faithful even when we're not faithful. The last series we did at the end of last year, we talked about the mercy of God going uh, for thousands of generations. The thing is, the choices we make, it builds the choices we make are consequences. And, some, and sometimes when we're unfaithful, the consequences uh, give birth to curse. Curse is the reverse of a blessing. Curse is what makes people not flourish. And that, just like blessing, goes from one generation to the other. So it's not that God ceases to bless us. He is pure blessing. It's just that we could make choices that, that, uh, whose consequences then follow our children and their children after them. And sometimes we make choices that make us walk away from the blessings of God. So God remains a blessing. But that's how it, uh, living unfaithfully could lead to a, a, a family blessing being lost. So, what legacy are you leaving for your family? You know, Trinity is turning 10 this month and we have a big celebration. Oh, I didn't mention that last week. We'll have a big party in May. Okay? So the reason it's all the way up to May because that's when I'll be back. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> some of our friends are traveling and you know, we want to keep inviting people. So we'll have a very, very big party in May. Come ready. But, uh, but this is our actual birthday month. And as we turn 10, the question in my heart is what legacy are we leaving for our children, the ones who just blessed to go to Sunday school and the, and the teens that are meeting now and those that are here and some in your arms, what legacy are we leaving in, our, in the next 10 years? Because some of the, some of the teens I've seen uh, came here very, very young and, and being held. Some of, the, some of the older ones just come to visit uh, their family for Christmas and they see us again and go, hey, you guys are still here. What do you expect? You know? <laughs> <laughs> But we saw them walk, uh, you know, walk in here as, as children. Um, Storm, whom some of you know, came, came here as, as a two-year-old, and you know now she's in school and knows quite a lot. Oh, that was not a bad thing, I hope. <laughs> so, but what legacy are we leaving for these children as a community? And what legacy are you leaving for your children as a family? One of the most important altars, because we're talking about different altars that need to be set up place for some of the moves of God we hope to see in our church and in this city. And one of the most important altars is your, your home. Now, again, so... Altar is a very churchy, spiritual word, but let me just break it down. Altars were, were, were raised places where people would make sacrifices for the things we worship. And I said from last Sunday, we all worship something. 
all of us, human beings were created to worship. Worship is how we, we express adoration. When we say something is beautiful, that's an expression of worship. And what you worship is seen by where you spend your money and your time, all your most uh, valuable resources. Where your treasure is, so is your heart. So we all are worshiping something. The question is what? And the places where we worship these things are called altars. So in the same way people now worship Netflix, you know, the, then, the, then the, the, the couches in our, in our living rooms become the altars where we sacrifice our time and our money and even our relationships to worship these things. So one of the most important altars is your home. Your family together makes sacrifices. Your family together has resources and you spend them worshipping something. What is that? What is actually being worshipped at the altar of your home? Now the family is, is the, you know, the source of some of our greatest pain and the source of our greatest joy. Sadly for some people, there's more pain than joy. But family will be the source of your greatest pain and your greatest joy. Your families of origin have the greatest impact even on how you follow Jesus. All our most important images and ideas about following Jesus or spirituality and faith came from our families of origin. Consequently, as a family, you will have the greatest impact on how the children that are coming after you will follow Jesus. I remember going to the first... Uh, uh, conference, church conference. Was it the first? Maybe not. Well, it, I was in college and, you know, I think I was kicked out of CU when I was in, in college. But, so I went to a CU conference, but before I actually joined college. Because otherwise, if they knew, they would never let me. But anyway, so, and there was a song that has stuck in, in my mind to this day. It, it had a line that said, All may those who come behind us find us faith. What legacy are you leaving for your kids? You will have the greatest impact on your children and the next generation as they follow Jesus. So what comes to your mind when you think of your kids? Or the kids that are around us here? Or your nephews and nieces? Some people long to travel home during the family gatherings, others shudder at the thought of showing up. And so they only wait for funerals. Because then you've got to go. And then people are so busy and sad, you leave and it's okay. Others feel they love each other, but they're not, they don't have to be around each other. Those things say a lot about your family and how you relate to each other. And guess what? How you relate with your family of origin impacts how you relate with everybody else. And that, in, and that also is a template of how you relate with God. So what comes to your mind when you think about your, your parents, your siblings, your spouse? We have baby dedications next week. And you know, Carl is thinking, this was, we should open a summer for next week. Well, we don't get there, so we're doing it today. So we have dedications next week, and, 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 and I want us to think about it and realize that we're leaving a legacy for these children. It's not just any other ritual. 
We're leaving a legacy for these children. The question is which ones? We're passing something on to them. And the reality is, there's what we want to pass on, and then what we actually pass on to our kids. Right? Uh, there's a silly story I heard when I was in primary school. Uh, of, of uh, a guest, a guest went to a house, and and the child was just staring at the guest, just staring at him as as they had dinner, and and the parent decided to ask, you know, hey, what what's going on? I wanted to know how a pig eats. <laughs> Shall we move on? I help you. Okay. The parent used to say. That guy eats like a pig. <laughs> and so when, when the guest came, the, the kid just stared. I want to know how a pig eats. <laughs> okay, now we're all together? We're all together? Okay, let's go on. Let's go on. Our kids, your kids, I don't have any. <laughs> That's why I'm making a point to... Yeah, I'm making a point to, to, to spoil a honey and Michael. <laughs> Somebody has got to get all this on Anyway, so your kids are picking up a lot from you, whether you like it or not. And there's what you think you're, you're giving them as a legacy, and there's what you actually are giving them as a legacy, and it's just in how you live. That's what they pick up. So, Remember that the two hours we do here, you know, I, I, I think some of us, some of us have, have surrendered the discipling of your kids to Carolyn and her team. Like, oh, bless their heart. May God give them grace. And it's okay, they're doing a great job, but two hours isn't enough. Two hours isn't enough even for us. It's about your home and your neighborhoods and, and, and the community you live, you do life in. So I want us to, I'm making a call for us to build altars in our homes. In this time and day that the generations that are coming after us will worship Jesus at. Now, for, for this century that sounds very ugh, all I'm saying is I want us to build the, the way you do life around your home in a way that will reflect Jesus so that your family, your children and their children have a point to refer to and say, because of this moment in my family, I know the Lord. You know, some of you are here because your parents forced you to come to church when you were younger and you finally finally found faith. I'm not saying you should force your kids. That's not, that's not the point. I'm just saying it's a reality for some of you, right? Some of you are here because your grandmother prayed for you and then you found faith one day. I know I'm living in some of the blessings that my, my mom and her uh, group of ladies prayed when, when she was pregnant with me and I'm seeing, I'm walking into some of those prophecies this many years later. Can we build the families, uh, the, how we do life around our homes in a way that will, will put a mark for, for our children and the, and, and the generations to come? At Trinity, 10 years old, as God is bringing us into a spacious place, as we're seeing God fulfill some of the promises he made to us, can we build this community and the way we do life in this community, thinking about those kids? and the kids that will come after them. 
and that will require breaking off a few things and building a few things. One of the first things we need to break off is spiritual complacency. When he brings you into it, I'm reading from Deuteronomy, when he brings you into it, that's the promised land, you live in beautiful and spacious cities that you didn't build. You know, houses filled with good things waiting for you. Cisterns to hold water already dug out uh, of the rock for you. And vineyards and, and live orchards that you didn't plant. You have all you want to eat and more. When this happens, be very, very careful. Don't forget, it was the eternal one who brought you out of Egypt, where you were slaves. Worship him, your true God, and serve him and swear oaths only by uh, in his name. See, when life gets better, it's simple, it's, 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 simple to, it's easy to become lazy. When life gets better, especially with the things of faith, it is easy to become lazy. Physical prosperity can easily numb us into spiritual life. And as God begins to give us some of the things we pray for for years, it is easy for us as a community to become lazy. When God starts giving you as a family the things you prayed for. I remember um, last year we, we had a worship uh, evening and that evening so many people were just looking around and uh, so many of the young people who came were desperate for jobs and that became one of the things we prayed out for loudly. And it was amazing to receive text messages from some of them going, hey, I'm moving out of Nakuru because I got a job. Wow, should we have made that prayer? But the point is, it was beautiful to see God answer some of those prayers. When you get the job, you've been praying for. When we get the roof, we've been praying for. This is a miracle. Because we only started this journey in December, right before we went on break, and we're done. We're done. You've done as a family. When when you get the, when you actually get the spouse you've been praying for, when you get the family you've been praying for, it is easy when finally we receive God's blessing to simply become lazy. The person who was once desperate, crying out to, uh, to God uh, to, to turn their lives around, that desperation can easily become entitlement when you start thinking, look at how well I've done for myself. Don't let the blessings of God on your life rob you of a hunger for Him. And those who are still waiting on the things you're praying for, remember this moment when you're, when you're praying with a lot of desperation for God to come through and let it fuel faith for the season where God will have answered your prayer. And you know, as I, also as you grow older, you, 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 you begin to immerse a bit of wealth. I'm seeing people who were here 10 years ago and now they have jobs and they're uh, doing courses they want to. Some of you are driving cars I didn't think you'd ever have. And you know, beautiful things are happening. Do you still remember the desperation with which you cried out to God for these? Don't let the blessings of God become, uh, become a reason for you to be lazy about following Jesus. And you know how we, how we know we've become complacent? When we spend more time on everything 
only thing else that with Jesus. When we spend everything we have on ourselves than showing compassion to the least of these. You see, the children of Israel later on even started treating uh, 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 the poor badly. They started uh, uh, treating their slaves badly. And God was reminding them, don't you remember you were also once slaves? What is wrong with you people? Sometimes we forget that we, we were once where God has, uh, we were once where we're seeing other people out and we, 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 we don't have compassion. And when that begins to happen, let me tell you, something is happening inside you and it's birthing complacency because it's dampening your hunger for God. When we decide that, you know, I don't have to show up for those church gatherings. Now listen, as I've always said, this isn't the only place to meet God. You meet God uh, when you're working with your family in the shamba. You meet God when you're uh, in school and, and, and in your offices and when you're sitting at Java and when you're at the golf course. God is everywhere with us. And actually I encourage us to, to get it right out there. If, if all we call worship is what we do on Sunday morning, that's a problem. Could we live our lives out there in a way that says, I have honored God with my life? Could, could, could the people that work for you and the people that work with you and the people you work for say, this person is different, what could it be? And that your response would be, it's because I know Jesus, that's why I make sure your books are in order. It's because I know Jesus, that's why I finish my work in good time. It's because I know Jesus, that's why I'll be compassionate. Could it be that could, could we be a people who worship out there? And Sunday morning or any other of our gathered spaces are equally important. We are encouraged to keep gathering together because it's a presence for us to host God's presence corporately. It's, it's a place where we get healed because we, we get exhausted out there and it's a place that equips us for what we need to do out there. But some you, you begin to realize you're complacent when it no longer matters. And so church becomes Easter and, and Good Friday. Oh, that comes before the other. The two great enemies of spirituality, at least according to me in our time, are busyness and laziness. We're so busy, there's no time to be with God and be with people. And, and, and the thing is, we're busy doing sometimes nothing important. We're busy scrolling, we're busy watching, we're busy, we're, but whatever it is, we're so busy there's no margin in our lives. And if you want to know that it's happening, even your family is beginning to feel it. Because they can't even get time for you. And that was so lazy to do what it takes. Because following Jesus does take work. Following Jesus does take work. Do not let your hearts grow cold. Cultivate hunger and zeal for God in your own lives. Especially when He gives you the things you pray for. And how do we cultivate hunger? It's just like any other love affair. Time and space has got to be created. And consistent action 
creates passion, right? And that passion fires up the action, right? Like, for anyone who's ever tried to make sure that their friendship or love with someone doesn't grow cold, you know that it takes time and space and it's intentional, it's not accidental. And then as you keep spending time and sharing space together, a passion in your heart grows. And then now you start doing these things out of that passion and vice versa. It's the same thing. Two, the other thing we need to break off, we need to break off worldliness. So God told them, do not become devoted to any of the gods the people around you worship. The eternal, your God, is living right among you. And he's a jealous God. He will become furious if you are unfaithful to him and wipe you out of the face of the earth. God is saying, if you're unfaithful, if you start worshiping other gods, why should I treat you any different from the nations around you? That's, that's pretty much what's being said here. In our series on spiritual warfare, I tried to describe the world, and I meant it's a, it's a system, a way of living um, that, that, does not, that does not have God at the center. So it's not the people outside, it's not, we, we, uh, you know, Paul says we're not fighting against flesh and blood. No, it's not people. It's not that other tribe, it's not that other race, it's not, that's not the world. At least not in the, case, uh, in, in the way it's used here. The world out there is any system of, of living that just uh, decides to ignore God and, and God is not in it. And sadly, some of, ha some of us have, have an incredible love affair with the world. And we're all guilty of it in one way or the other. Are we engaging in politics just the same way any other person would engage in politics? Are we doing uh, our marriages in the very same way every other person does them? It makes no difference whether you're saved or not. You do marriage the same way. Are you... Are you are, the way you live your life, does it have God at the center? Or is it no different from how everyone else around you is living? What are you allowing into your home? And you know it is exactly the way the world does it, and it matters, but you're just thinking, oh, but I quite like it. And some, some people don't care. Some people follow Jesus, but they don't think it matters how they live, and that's problematic because it's not true. It matters how you live. Some others spiritualize it and say, oh, I'm just being culturally relevant so that I can evangelize, right? I'm just being in with the people so that I can reach them. And sometimes it's because you don't want to be left out. If all the people you're living around, if all your friend, your friend group does life a certain way, and it just feels like, oh, I'll be such an odd person to be the one who says, uh, maybe not for me, you know, uh, maybe not today. And so it just feels like, ah, oh, maybe it's okay. Okay, we actually need our walls back. We have to and sadly, these things slowly lead our hearts away from God. Idols always start with, I mean, it's okay. And they always end with you having walked away from God. 
There's a, there's a story of, of a, one of Israel's kings called Solomon. He starts well, and then he starts chipping, uh, chipping away at his godly life, one little bit after another. He starts worshipping this idol here, worshipping this idol there, and at the end of his life, it's a totally different story. There's a reason why God uh, was adamant that they worship no other God but Him. You see, the, the, the temptation for Israel was not, was not the abandoning of Yahweh, at least not at the, at the onset, but it was the worshipping of God and something else. And what they didn't realize is that that's how eventually you walk away from God. Friendship with the world is, is, is empty with God. And it's a big deal for us at Trinity. I'll tell you why. You know, the last 10 years and looking into the, the next 10 years, we have been known as a church, as, as uh, Pierre was saying, that we welcome everyone. Not, not as a gimmick, because we, we are everyone. We are everyone. We've been known as a community that will go to places church people don't go. And that's important. I hope we never lose that. Because there are no less holy places. God is always with us. It's, it's the reason Jesus was, they were so mad at Jesus, uh, the, the religious leaders, and they would ask him, why are you eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? And these people didn't behave themselves any better because Jesus was there. Jesus was found at their parties. And they were just like, I guess he's here with us. <laughs> and, and the religious leaders would stand outside. I'm sure some of them really wished to have been invited in, but you know. They're standing outside going, if you're really a rabbi, why are you here with these people? Like, but where else? These are the people. It's your families, it's your friends, it's your work colleagues. You are in the world. <laughs> But you're not off the world. It's very easy for us to forget that though we're in the world, we're not off the world. And we begin slowly, slowly allowing little worldly things into our hearts. And soon there's no difference between us and the world. And so even the world that is looking at us for hope just goes, oh, this makes me Look at the one we thought. And people of the world know. They know the difference between fake and real. And sometimes Christians bend over backwards. Not necessarily to love people, but to, to pretend and invite the world in. And people go, yeah, I'm not sure I want that. The world knows what is real and what's fake. Here are quick questions to ask as we engage with our world. Are they grateful that you were there? Are they going, wow, thank, uh, well, I guess if they're atheists, they wouldn't say thank God. I guess they still do. Are people around you saying, I'm so grateful Rose came? Are they scoffing at you for having claimed you're a Christian? When you leave, are they going, oh, it was good to have them here? Or are they going, <laughs> when people, people around you, are they curious about your faith? And, or, or maybe they don't even know it's faith. Are they curious about how you live after meeting you? 
Or do they walk away from meeting you saying, I should just live the way I'm living for this Let's begin to investigate how we live. It'll tell us what idols we've, we, 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 uh, we've put on our hearts. But the thing is, we bring those things, we bring those idols home. And while, while you may say, I'll never walk away, the, the things you've worshipped in your home are, are, are the things your children will carry with them. I ask myself this question so many times, and I have found that so many times I have a lot to repent for. It matters how we live. It matters who we are when we're hosting guests and when 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 we're being hosted by people. When we're at the at the church uh, at the school committee meeting. When we are. When we are at the board meeting we lead, and when we are at the business party we go to, it matters how we do. And your children are watching. Here are two things to build. One, we need to build a compelling vision of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Can your children look at you and say, there's, there's a passion about how you love and follow Jesus? Can they look at your lives and want it? Is the vision of God that you're creating in your home compelling enough that your children will want it to? Sadly, 64% of young adults will walk away from faith by age 20. They just don't want anything to do with faith. And it's because of what they've seen at home. The father who prayed their, ho their voices hoarse mistreated their mom. The woman who sang with her voice raised high never honored her own marriage. Sixty-four percent of young girls who walk away from faith by age twenty. How have we managed to make Jesus that boring? He walked on water. He cast out demons. He was he, like he was a revolutionary that never went to war. At least not in the sense that we think about it. And uh, his life split history into two. Whether you follow him or not, you've got to contend with Jesus Christ. Mama. How have we managed to make this man, how have we managed to make God that boring that Jen is it Gen Z that Gen Z has, doesn't want anything to do with him. As your kids are going into college, just engaging with the world, can they thrive? Are you building the life of your family in a way that your children will thrive? 
and their faith thrive in a world that is full of racism and tribalism and ever-changing ideas on sexuality and marriage and gender. Can your children thrive? Now, I'm not saying, I, I think everyone needs to walk through the journey of faith and even get to places where their childhood faith is, is confronted because out of that shell can rise something stronger. Your children will get to places where everything you told them will be questioned, and that's good. How do you build a foundation in them strong enough that they will thrive? That they will come back to it themselves? Here's how we do it. You know, your, 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 your children sometimes are in the worship service and they hear you saying, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. How often do you tell them this? So God told them, remind them what I did for you. Talk about the goodness of God in your life with your children. It's not enough to just tell the boy, then Jesus healed this, healed this woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Great. What, what has God done for you? What has God done for you? What are the miracle stories in your life? I can't wait. If ever I have kids, tell them the stories of the things I've seen in this church. The miracles, the healings, the, 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 the forgiveness, the growth, the love of family, and, and, and the provision. It's incredible. I think, I think we live... It's... Sometimes when I hear people describe what they've experienced here or, or describe what they think about this church, I'm going, whoa, it's way, way bigger than what any of us can manage. I can't wait. Talk to your kids about the things God has done in your life. Remember the moment you prayed for provision because you thought you'd be kicked out for no rent and God provided the exact amount of money. Remember the time you had no food and you prayed and God provided. Remember when you were sick and you got healed. Remember those things and tell your kids about them. Talk about the goodness of God. Do it with humility. Do it with humility. But do it anyway. Mama. Lastly, build structures of discipleship. Make the things I'm commanding you today part of who you are. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you are sitting together in your home and when you're walking together down the road. Make them the last thing you talk about before you go to bed and the first thing you talk about in the next morning. Do whatever it takes. Remember them. Tie, tie a reminder on your hand and bind, uh, and, 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 and bind a reminder on your forehead. Uh, where you'll see them all times, such as on the doorpost and, and uh, where, where you cross the threshold or at the city gates. Do you see how much work it takes? Imagine right before you, you put your child to bed, you just read them a bedtime story and you got to tell them, oh, by the way, this is what the Lord our God said. And then the next morning, before they, they, before they think they, realize, uh, they, they want breakfast, you tell them, I need to tell you something about God. Imagine that. 
The description being, being given here is do whatever it takes. I wonder how many parents can today say, I'm doing whatever it takes to make sure that my children have, 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 have God in their mind. So many parents who are believers are careful to not force faith down their children, down their children's throat, and that's a good thing. Like, oh no, no, I can't. They, they'll decide at, at some point. They will do it. This is my faith. I'll not force it down their, uh, their, their throats, and that's a good thing. Here are three things. Here are three reasons that that argument is not complete. Three problems with that thinking. One, no one's asking you to force it. Don't force it down their throats. Two, whatever you do, they will decide for themselves. They will decide for themselves. Three, and this is so important, the world is forcing a belief system down your kids' throats. Mm -hmm. All day, every day. You're the only one who's decided to stay out of the game. <laughs> You're the only one who's decided, oh, I, I love Jesus so much that I will not. The world is forcing down in kids' throats a set of ideologies. Yet God entrusted you with his children. We are all disciples. We're all following something. The question is who? The question is what? You are becoming a disciple every day. You're being formed into someone. And you're formed after, the, uh, in the image of the person you're following. So that's not the question, that's a human thing. The question is what? So the question from, uh, for, for parents is, and the homes we're leading is, who will we allow to be who our children are formed after? They're being formed. That, there's no question about that. Who will we allow our children to be formed after? So what do you need to do? So see that, that, that statement, tie them on your hands and on your forehead. Jews literally had uh, some sort of string that they had to teach their children uh, uh, things uh, uh, about God, especially their history, and something to put on the forehead. They actually did it. It's whatever it takes, including they, they just put up stuff that would help them teach their kids. Put up structures in your home. Think creatively, work with them, because your kids want to participate, work with them. But, and think creatively, what are some of the things that you could do around the home that will help these kids have encounters with God and, and, and let God do the rest? Fasting together as a family growing up was a huge gift that I now appreciate. We did it quite often, and I promise you, my parents aren't starving us. We disagree, okay? We'll, we'll fast this week. Do it together. Read scripture together. Pray together. Come to church together. 
If there's something you're doing that is beautiful uh, 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 out in the city, like feeding the hungry, or just you know going to work where, where people respect you because of how you live, take your kids sometimes. And when they ask you, wow, why, 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 why do they like you? Well, they think I'm kind. They don't really know me, but they think I'm kind. Why do they think you're kind? Well, I want to image Jesus. Take them with you. Do stuff with them. One day, sitting at my mom's feet, I asked her, you know, what are we going to eat? And uh, she said, you know, I don't know. What, uh, I don't know. She asked me what I would want to eat. And upon answering, she said, why then don't you ask God? Now, let me give you context. It wasn't that food was in the fridge and she would, she would make me pray first before she could feed me. It was a very difficult time for us as a family. And, and so she actually had no idea if we would eat, not what we would eat. So she told me the story of Moses having a staff and presenting it to God. So this was totally out of context, obviously. But what she was, the point she was trying to make was just present to God what you have, even if all you have is a prayer. And so I prayed. And then a little while later, I heard my dad's characteristic stomp on the, on the, on the, on the door. He used to do something exactly that, and then switch and shuffle his keys, and we'd know daddy's home. And as he opened the door, in his hand was, was just a kilo of nyama, like I prayed. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you don't have food in the house, you don't pray for lavish things and expensive things like nyama. You just go, God, we just need food. Even if it's cabbage. Terrible vegetable, but you know, sometimes it works. No, I'm kidding. Of course I am. It's potatoes that's bad. No, I'm kidding. Oh my goodness, I might have a good number of people. No, all food is good food. Anyways, but you just you just want to eat. You're not very choosy. And 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 that's what my dad came with. Now you see it's easy now. Because now I can afford it. Some of you thought, well, come on, seriously, Nyama, that's all. Trust me, there are people in this community who, who that would be an answer to prayer. Right? So it's easy now that I, that I can afford it to become complacent and go, what was that? Maybe it would just have come with Nyama anyway. No, it was a difficult time. And it sounds so silly, but it did something for my faith. It was one of the stepping stones for my faith. Let me invite the band back on stage as we Why not invite us to stand? So as the band sings over us, I just want us to remain, to stand quietly in God's presence and ask Him, search my heart, show me, show me what we're really living our life around at home.
Show me the things you've exalted that need to be torn down. Ask yourself this question. What patterns of sin and brokenness need to be broken all of you? We did a, a series on generational stuff and, and we talked about a tool called the genogram. It helps us see things that we've carried on from uh, one generation to the other. Sometimes the alcohol problem isn't just something you're struggling with, it's, it's a generational issue. And even psychologists use this tool, because sometimes you just need to go, oh. It's, it's, it's me and my mom before me and her mom before her. Hmm, something's going on. Be honest with yourself about which of those patterns you still carry on. Be honest with yourself about the things you know are broken in your family and you still carry on. Let the Holy Spirit just show you, hey, this needs to be changed. We could, we could start. Two, what foundations of blessing do you need to start laying for your kids and their kids? Start small, start where you want. Maybe it's just blessing them on Monday when their week begins. And start speaking what you see in them. Maybe it's praying with them in the evening. Maybe it's reading scripture together. Maybe it's just having meals together because that also is worship and the Father is happy. What foundations of blessing and life need to be made? 